Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Saqib Bhatti, I'm the co-director of the Action Center on Race and the Economy, uh, or ACRE. So we're talking after the week of hell at the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court upheld Trump's Muslim ban. It took away fair share fees from public sector unions. It ruled that crisis pregnancy centers could lie to people. It was it was not a good week. Um, and... I want to talk to you because you wrote a Facebook post about sort of all of these things together and also because your research tries to put into the context of the economic system we live in. So, yeah, yeah I was asking for your reflections on this week at the Supreme Court and sort of what it tells us about politics under Trump and this and this court. I think this week is re- really sort of seen full force. Uh, just how much the far right has, has captured not just uh, you know, not just the presidency and and Congress, but also the courts. Uh, I think uh, it was a real wake-up call for me in particular. In, after seeing all the decisions, the thing that really sort of sent me to a dark place was actually reading about you know, Kennedy's retirement, not because Kennedy is great, but because it sort of just really hit home that actually this is a new norm, that these terrible decisions coming out that are just really rolling back a lot of the progress that's been made over the past uh, few decades, uh, that this is just the beginning. Uh, and I think um, that that's what was really sort of shocking about, in addition to all the horrible news coming out, the realization this is just the way things are, because uh, it seems like the the corporate class uh, and the white supremacists are now, you know, fully in fully in power, um, and and it's it's scary. It's scary. I want to talk a little bit in in more depth about the both of these things about the Muslim ban. I guess let's start with um, because you've been doing research around who supports these things, who the the backers of sort of Trumpism on this front are. Yeah, so we have a, a project at Acre that we've just launched called Crescendo, which really tries to look at who are the corporations that are behind the anti-Muslim agenda in the U.S. Uh, and what's we're really trying to like hit home is, I mean, of course, there's some uh, corporations that are obvious that come to mind, like you know Fox News, Parent News Corp, Breitbart News. Uh, right. We're actually not focusing on, on those companies uh, because, yeah. frankly, there's a set of companies that are ideologically anti- anti-Muslim. Their their bread and butter is really fear-mongering and hate-mongering and hate-mongering right. around Muslims. Um, right. But we're interested in looking at who are the companies that actually would not necessarily even want to be seen as being anti-Muslim, but that are right. still uh, directly or indirectly uh, you know, supporting and, uh, anti-Muslim politicians, anti-Muslim policies, or engaging right. in anti-Muslim business practices themselves. Um, and so we put out a report last week um, in partnership with Little Sis, um, which is a research uh, research shop that we do a lot of great work with. Um, and among other things, we you know, talked about companies uh, like um, you know, like Wells Fargo and Blackstone, uh, 
and Goldman Sachs, uh, that in addition to uh, being cheerleaders of a lot of Trump's worst policies, uh, particularly policies that um, that affect people of color, uh, they're right. also just uh, some of the major donors uh, to um, the anti-Muslim politicians. They're also right. profiteering off the broken immigrant detention system. Uh, and so we're really trying to connect some of these dots, that, uh, that there are companies that actually would – you know, they actually count lots of Muslims as uh, that they're plainly seen behaving Muslim customers, yet they are nonetheless uh, actually uh, uh, supporting these anti-Muslim policies and politicians um, with with their money, whether it's direct or indirect. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've actually heard a bit in the last few weeks about employees at tech companies, like the tech workers themselves, protesting their companies involvement in, you know, whether it's like facial recognition or AI or something like that in Trump's anti-immigrant policies. Yeah, this is one of the, the really big things that's happening. You know, we think of Silicon Valley as, oh, it's generally a bunch of liberals. Uh, well, right. it turns out, you know, liberals are actually good on these issues, right? Like you have, uh, <laughs> you can be liberal and still actually try to make money off white supremacy. Uh, right. One would argue that actually being liberal means that you're typically trying to make money off white supremacy. Uh, and uh, and that comes out clearly with companies like Microsoft and Amazon, uh, you know, these yeah. companies that we, like, that try to maintain these images as like, you know, squeaky clean companies. Um, uh, and they employ a whole lot of immigrants uh, and they count, you know, they're, they're, uh, they have a whole lot of immigrants who, who are their customers as well. Uh, and, but yeah, but they're actually involved, uh, with, yeah, as you said, facial recognition technologies, other parts of the, the surveillance system. Um, and the other thing is that we're also seeing some of these companies like Amazon, uh, there's also been reports, uh, from, uh, Amazon warehouses of discrimination right. against Muslim workers. And so it's one yeah. of those things where, the ideals that these, uh, or the, the image we have of these companies, the images they try to present, don't actually often uh, match up against their own business practices. And that's the other side of um, hypocrisy that we want to expose, uh, because we think that, you know, the, we want these companies to know that you can't have it both ways. You can't try to present yourself as a good, progressive company at the same time that you're actually, uh, you know, very much complicit uh, and helping uh, uphold the, the infrastructure of Trumpism. Right. And then when we look at the Janus decision, right, and the, the attacks on the labor movement, and especially when we're thinking about attacks on public sector unions, which is where you have more people of color because of the discrimination in the private sector, um, connect that a little bit back to what we're talking about here. What is it that we see as through line of all of this. Yeah, I mean, I think what we've really seen is, um, as you said, like, this huge attacks on on communities of color, poor people, uh, and you know, people that are vulnerable in our community. I think, uh, yeah, one of the points, one of the underreported points about Janice uh, really is, as you said, the fact that, yes, it's an attack on, on, on unions, but it's really attack on, an attack on um, on uh, on workers of color, in particular women of color, who are overrepresented in the public sector. Um, I mean, one of the things when we talk about the debate over again public pension funds, 
it's that public pension funds, why are public pension funds so so uh so squarely in the crosshairs uh, of the right wing, a big part of it is that public pension funds are the largest source of wealth in the black community uh, okay. in places where there are public sector unions. And if you're trying to take on, um, if you're trying to destroy public sector unions, a big part of that is trying to destroy public pension funds and dismantle that that wealth that's been accumulated through uh, workplace organizing uh, in communities of color in particular. And um, and it's um, yeah. I mean, what we're seeing is across a range of these decisions that are coming down from the Supreme Court that they're systematically uh, laying the groundwork for uh, just turning back, uh, not just laying the groundwork. They're, they're systematically turning back the clock on a lot of progress that has been made uh, on issues of race uh, and, and immigrant justice. Um, so when we're thinking about you know, this week we also saw a lot of protests and we saw victory for one in particular, but a couple of, of progressive candidates who are talking about all of this stuff. Um, so in thinking about how to move forward from this, to recover from Hell Week last week, what should we be thinking about in terms of, again, trying to connect the dots so we don't have, like, a protest against Janice over here and a protest about you know, immigration over here and a protest about the Muslim ban over there. So I think looking at these issues, what's really important to understand is the connection between who are the corporate actors that are actually bad across all of these issues. I think right. one of the things that we're seeing uh, is, you know, we, with a lot of these, like, the thing that people love to do about the Muslim ban is to really beat up on Trump, right? And, right. Or say these are a terrible decision by Supreme Court. Um, right. But the reality is that, okay, like, you know, we can raise those concerns all we want. It actually just, it doesn't actually hurt Trump for us to be saying, oh, he's anti-Muslim, he's racist. In fact, it yeah. actually helps him with his base. Uh, right. And with a lot of the politicians we're seeing on the, that, that, you know, we were, that, the, the fact that the reason why they're actually appealing to, to white supremacists is because they realize that it actually helps them. Uh, and so the way for us to take them on, uh, while it's important to call out those politicians for, for what they are and for what they're doing, we can't stop there because at the end of the day, um, that's just not going to be an effective way to move them, uh, especially now if we're seeing the Supreme Court that's going to, you know, in the coming years, likely be stacked uh, by far-right ideologues. Uh, like, it seems like the avenues to be fighting these fighting these fights only in the discourse of the public sector and government is going to be going away, and that's why it's really important to look at well, who are the corporations that these politicians are beholden to, who are the corporations whose agenda the Supreme Court is carrying out, uh, who and really sort of drawing some of these connections. So if we look at this, uh, one thing we found in our research. Uh, <coughs> Is that a lot of the same companies that are really profiting off the direct and mass incarceration system, uh, that are uh, really driving and profiting from, uh, you know, the our, uh, immigration policies uh, that are um, supporting politicians that are uh, anti-Muslim and support policies like the Muslim ban. These are actually a lot of the same corporations, and by the way, those are also the same corporations that are responsible for defunding the public sector because they don't pay, pay their fair share in taxes. Right? So across the board, we see, uh, I mean, the 
financial sector in particular emerges as a major pole of power that's really driving a lot of these terrible practices. Uh, companies like Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, they all finance private prisons and immigrant detention centers. They're all uh, some of the major campaign uh, contributors or either them directly or through with the American Bankers Association financing some of the most anti-Muslim politicians out there. Wells Fargo is the single biggest beneficiary, corporate beneficiary of Trump's tax cut. And these are the same companies that systematically are uh, are showing up across all these areas. And so if the, go- if, if the government is, the government officials are not responsible to pressure because actually us trying to go after them actually makes them uh, you know, makes them seem even better to, to their base. What we need to start doing is actually calling out these corporations whose whose business are doing. Because as it turns out, you know, there's a reason why Trump was actually calling out Hillary for her connections to Goldman Sachs in order to get elected. Right. Because actually, right. the same companies aren't popular with his base either. So I think what we need to start doing is really get more sophisticated about the ways in which we're going after uh, after all the terrible things that are happening by really calling out who are the corporate actors that are benefiting from this, who are the corporate actors that are actually driving a lot of these policies, uh, and really then you know, using that to, to polarize against against these elected officials that these elected officials like Trump are actually you know, doing the bidding of, uh, and, and doing the dirty work for these other corporations that want to maintain their own squeaky clean image while, while remaking the world in a way uh, that, that, that suits them, uh, which inherently uh, it suits them at the expense of communities of color. Right. Um, um, so on that note, the most hopeful note last week for a lot of people was the success in Queens and the Bronx of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who notably did not raise a lot of money. She did not take any corporate money, and she ran on a platform that included abolishing ICE, a job guarantee, a Green New Deal, uh, and... So what does that tell us about the possibility of actually beating these people? I think that there is more potential now than ever before to actually beat these corporations. I think that's why we're seeing uh, such uh, such a big push to try to cement control over the Supreme Court uh, as, as a, uh, a uh, as, as a fail-safe for these corporations in the, in the long run. I think this sort of recognize the tide is turning against them. We're seeing yeah. in, you know place after place. Uh, you know, the, the corporate set, the corporate Democrats really sort of faltering, uh, and the rise of, um, of more more leftist politics with the Democratic Party, which is great. Uh, and I think um, I think yeah that I'm actually hopeful about despite everything else. I'm, I'm hopeful about Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez's victory, and I'm seeing more more things like that going forward. Right, one of the simpler things. I mean, I, I live in Chicago. In 2015, uh, Rahm Emanuel was, you know, he outspent Tui Garcia by you know, that magnitude of, like, I don't know, like, I mean, for the, the first election that they had, like the, the the initial primary election, I think it was managed of, like, 30 to 1 or something. Uh, it, yeah. it caught up a little bit in the runoff, but he was still, but Tui still actually forced him into a runoff and had a real shot there. I think what we've started seeing is a slow shift, uh, a gradual shift, uh, 
to the left. I think the Democratic Party has not caught up. Uh, I think they're trying to, they're digging their heels um, and uh, try to block that, pro- that progress because they they are beholden to these same corporations, these corporations that under Bush had decided, oh, okay, the Republican Party is moving too far to the right, so we should go double down the Democratic Party. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think uh, what we're seeing is that the the electorate continues to move farther to the left, uh, and that's yeah. why they're trying to cement this control at the very least at the Supreme Court level, so that uh, even as the electorate changes, that they can try to block progress. But I think that ultimately um, that will will be a, fair, a losing battle for them in the long run. Excellent. How can people keep up with you and find your latest report? Uh, so you can check us out at our website, acrecampaigns.org, a report about uh, the uh, corporate property, uh, the corporate backers of uh, the Muslim ban and other Islamophobic practices are in the research section, acrecampaigns.org slash research. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.